Welcome to episode four of the MJ Sports Report podcast, our weekly podcast where Kyle and I get together and talk about the local high school sports. We preview games, we recap games, we talk about other stuff, other athletes, things of that nature. Um, Kyle, I think the, the first thing we've got to talk about here, the most pressing matter, it's not Muscatine Volleyball's win over Bettendorf. It's not West Liberty and Wilton's close match the other night that Wilton won. It's not even Muscatine or Wilton football. How about your Packers? How about uh, Aaron Rodgers? What's it like to uh, have a, a non-human, uh, a god, some might say, a man that can walk on water, as the Vikings coach said, playing, playing quarterback for your favorite team? It's really a luxury. These comeback wins, last-minute touchdown drives, they never get old. Watching Rodgers just tear up defenses, and he's been doing it for so long. Had Brett Favre before him, so... Really yeah, nice. yeah. Talk, talk about a spoiled fan base, man. The Packers—they've had a franchise quarterback your entire life, which is, which is obviously very, very rare. Unless, of course, you just have Tom Brady, who plays for like you know twenty-five years. But yeah, it it was crazy because down twenty to zero after the Bears took like four, five, six minutes, whatever it was, on their opening drive, and then when Rodgers comes back in, I don't know about you, but just as a neutral observer. I felt like the Packers were going to win that game, and I know uh, some Bears fans that we know, uh, Bobby Metcalf here at the office specifically, felt like the Packers were going to win that game too. So it's just crazy to have a guy that good when you're down 20-0, to there's like 23 minutes of game time left, and everybody thinks your team is still going to win the game. I, uh, I actually didn't want to see Rodgers come back in that game. I didn't think they had a chance coming back, and I've seen him get injured and lose – too many games and seasons before, so right, yeah, absolutely, and he uh, and that knee injury definitely uh, it looked kind of scary because he had a big guy land on kind of awkwardly. Obviously, the Bears defensive line was all over him early in that game, so you're kind of thinking he comes back in, he's just gonna have Mac and company living in the backfield again. But Packers offensive line stepped up, and obviously Rodgers was amazing, and Cobb that that touchdown was amazing, but. Enough about that. I won't torture our, our poor listeners, I'm sure, are mostly Bears fans uh, too much longer. We've got a lot to get to today. Um, we're going to preview all of the Week 4 football matchups. Um, we'll look back at Week 3. It was, uh, it was a very muddy Week 3 for the teams that played on Friday night, so there's kind of some, some weird results, um, some weird games. Our own uh, Kyle Heim experienced those conditions firsthand at, uh, at Columbus. Uh, but we'll start with the one game that really didn't have that issue. That's uh, Muscatine and Davenport West. Um, Muscatine, that was a Thursday night game over here at Brady Street. And Muscatine escapes this one, 14-13. And you know, to me, that, that's the key word here, escapes, because they certainly did not play very well. It was not a very pretty game, but they made plays when they had to. You know, They, they blew up some quarterback runs when needed to stall some uh, Davenport West drives. Um, Carson Orr had a nice pooch punt that pinned West inside its own five, and then uh, West uh, snapped it over the punter's head for a safety. Muscatine leads 14-13. Well, it was 11-7 at that point, but they win 14-13, so that safety kind of ends up being a, being a big difference. Uh, Tim Nimley, not exactly his usual game. West really keyed in on him, but still a good game by most running back standards. 25 carries for 92 yards. Had some some of those classic Tim Nimbley runs, including the, the one to win the game where he just broke a lot of tackles. Um, Eli Gay was the real story here, though. Um, 13 receptions, 
172 yards and a touchdown. He had a massive 59-yard catch and run early in the game on a bubble screen that really kind of gave them the momentum when not much was going their way, down 7-0 early. He is now up to 32 receptions for 416 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Eli Gay, that is, for the season. Uh, just a sophomore. Uh, just for reference, the school record for Muscatine is 80 receptions. Class 4A record is 99. I don't know whether or not he will actually keep this pace and break those, but just the fact that I can realistically read you those numbers and it is possible that he is going to catch those is pretty crazy. Uh, Kyle, just what what were your impressions from the other night, just watching this one from afar, uh, fr- from the office, at M- the Muskies struggle but do escape this one with a win? Yeah, I didn't think the Muskies would have a whole lot of trouble in this one, but they got everything they could handle from the Falcons. We talked before the game about the struggles Davenport West had the previous week against Clinton, but it seemed like it came ready to play against Muscatine. But Muscatine's defense has saved this team a number of times already this season. Following your tweets during the game, it's the Muskies, I think, stopped the Falcons on fourth and inches in the red zone mm-hmm. with about three and a half minutes mm-hmm. left yep. to play. It, and it literally was fourth and inches. It was a uh, close enough to where I think maybe they could have measured. I don't remember if they actually did or not, but it, I think uh, I think it was literally like fourth and like half a foot. Like it, it was not much at all. And Dalton Sell and a couple other players, but he was the main one, kind of blew the the quarterback run up in the backfield. And uh, the court and really the quarterback run had had really hurt the Muskies all night. West had a new starter in this game. Um, J- Jacob, I, w- I want to say Milam was his last name. I don't have that right in front of me, so that could be incorrect. I can double-check that in a minute. But he had 168 passing yards, uh, 121 rushing. Um, Mueller basically said they're a completely different team with him at quarterback than, um, than the other kid. I think partially... That I think partially a better team, but also just very different because he's much more of a dual threat um, than the other kid. Um, yeah, I think uh, Mueller said they're not a good team yet. Going to have to really grow up and grow up in a hurry. Obviously, they're going to have to get together and, and play a much better game on Friday. But uh, Kyle, any, any lasting impressions uh, from from this one for you? Uh, may, maybe the Muskies seem to play to their competition a little bit. Is that fair to say? Do you think? I think so, yeah. I, I do think the defense has really improved from a year ago. Mm-hmm. Teams averaged about 42 points per game last year, averaging just 19 so far this year, so a lot of improvement there. But. Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, that's even with a double overtime game in there that, that added 10 more points uh, in Week 2, or else those defense numbers would probably be even better. So, yeah, the defense has been good. Um, offensively, they just haven't really been able to sustain drives. Mueller told me yesterday, really – it's kind of weird. It hasn't been like one thing that's been killing them. It's like, you know, they're blocking or just penalties. It's just like something always goes wrong on these drives. Like they get called for a holding penalty or they have a bad snap or, you know, just something. They have some kind of breakdown that slows down their drives, and that's obviously, you know, against a team with as good a defense as Johnston has next week. We'll get to that more later. They're not going to be able to make those mistakes. Um, if they want to win tomorrow night or tonight, depending on when you're listening to this, we're recording on Thursday afternoon here. And we can move on to um, our next game. This one, uh, Kyle, you were at a real doozy over in Columbus. I say that just because it sounds like it was played in a pitch black stadium that was uh, very muddy, very muddy, very muddy stadium. Um, Louisa Muscatine wins this one uh, 42-0. to Is that correct? Am yep. I reading this correctly? 
Um, really dominating performance from them. I'll just kick on over to you because obviously you were there. What, what did you see out of out of both of these teams? It was your first time seeing them both. I had seen LNM once, but we hadn't seen Columbus yet this year, so they were really kind of new to us. Yeah, Dimlet Stadium, definitely very muddy. Even slipped on the field after the game. It, but, See, uh, I wasn't going to blow your cover and, and tell that story, but yes, uh, Kyle sprinting to the huddle to get a photo after the game because it was almost impossible to get a well-lit photo in, in that stadium in the dark and stormy conditions. Um, kind of bit the bullet in the mud, but hey, you know, that's called being a team player, Kyle. Yeah, got a little dirty just like all the players, so... <laughs> Nothing too bad there, but the Falcons, I just kind of exploited the youth and inexperience. I felt of Columbus, this defense, um, several explosive plays. They gained 438 total yards, including 319 yards on the ground. So the running game was obviously a strength again for them. Mm-hmm. And we we thought coming into this one that you know that rushing attack was really gonna gonna carry them home. We didn't realize the field would be like that. But just uh, Columbus had struggled so much uh, defending the run this year, and uh, LNM might have one of the best rushing attacks in Class 2A. A lot of explosive playmakers on offense, too. Cody Calvillage had seven rushes, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Had one catch for 74 yards and a touchdown. Cruz only attempted four passes, but had 119 yards and two touchdowns. And Carson Cantrell, five rushes, 80 yards, and a touchdown, so they obviously made the most out of those opportunities on yeah. offense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just what what you kind of think uh, on the Columbus side of things? Um, seemed like Scott Simmons was uh, was pleased with the way the second half went. It sounds like uh, the Wildcats competed fairly well in, in the second half. And you know, really, you, you look at the LM stats, and uh, it's it's what you're saying. And they scored on a lot of big plays, but really. When they had to sustain a drive, or they had to try to, the Columbus defense did okay. I, I think Simmons walked away with this one uh, fairly happy with the way the second half went. Yeah, the Wildcats held up pretty well on defense. Simmons said afterward that he just felt like they had played with a lot more intensity there in the second half, forced a couple turnovers, held the Wise Muskie to 14 points in the second half. He had said he felt like they got pushed around a lot in the previous two weeks against Highland and G- GMG, so he was pleased with the improvement. Mm-hmm. That young defense, absolutely, and that's uh that's zero and three for Columbus on the season. Um, L and M two and one after the tough double overtime loss in week one, so the Falcons have bounced back well from that to be two and one through three weeks, and then we'll move to uh, Durant here. Um, Durant faced yet another tough non-district opponent in Tipton, um, lost twenty-eight to fourteen. Seemed like a really really run-heavy game in this one as well, which. I don't know if that if the rain and conditions were partially to blame for that one. You know, I, I saw a photo of the sidelines from from Derek Sawville, uh from Wilton in that one, and it was literally just mud. Like there was like almost no grass on their sidelines, and it was kind of one of those sidelines where like it, the sideline goes down off the field a little bit and then down from behind, so it was just like a mud pit all the way. I probably would have fell away from <laughs> there trying to take photos. Then. So it was uh, it's not great conditions anywhere really. If you uh, if you catch on the dri- the theme of of last week here, um, Tipton rushed for a hundred or three hundred eighty three yards and four touchdowns. Quarter their quarterback attempted just one pass. Don't believe he completed it. So those three hundred eighty three rushing yards were literally all of their offense. Durant just uh. Didn't have an answer for that defensively. It was close throughout the wild, um, 
Tipton pulled away late and, and scored two touchdowns. I believe it was tied at 14 at one point. Um, Kyle, when you when you look at the Durant side of things, um, what what do you think uh, the Wildcats can take away from this one, uh, in, encouraging it to move on the week four here? Well, they they did have trouble stopping Tipton on defense, but they did have a little success on offense. Um, Tristan Hughes had kind of a tough game running the ball, 12 rushes for 38 yards, but Bryce LaFrance completed 16 of 26 passes for 191 yards, had one interception, but those field conditions did not look very good to compete mm-hmm. on. So Eight receptions for 129 yards for Mason Compton, so his um, good season continues. Uh, yeah, the running game, like you mentioned, with Tristan Hughes just really hasn't got going yet, but it does look like he played well on the defensive side of things, had 10 and a half tackles, uh, three solo tackles for loss. Um, Durant, now one and two on the season, but that's, that's three tough games they've played to start their season. Won't get a whole lot easier next week, or I, I keep saying next week, tomorrow. They seem to keep saying tomorrow or Friday night. Um, a- anything else uh, from you on this one, Kyle? I don't think so. We can move on to uh, what was probably the, the best game in the area. I actually had the privilege of listening to it on the Comic Cast. Uh, shout out to those guys. They do a, a good job over there in West Liberty. It was a 28-27 to overtime win over Anamosa for the Comets. Um, obviously, their, their first win of the season after just two really, really difficult games to start the season against highly ranked teams. They're now 1-2 and two on the year. Um, after just one touchdown through the first six quarters plus an overtime of the season for them, you know they, they score four touchdowns in the final two quarters. It was actually zero to zero at halftime of this one, if I'm not mistaken. So team, it was a uh, 21-21 heading into overtime. So the offense has both kind of got going there. Uh, good sign for the Comets. Uh, Seth Feldman kind of got going a little bit. 129 passing yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Will Esmar had five receptions for 58 yards. And the game-winning touchdown in overtime, Esmoil actually kicked the extra point to win it because Anamosa missed the extra point um, it, on the previous possession in overtime. Um, like I mentioned, listening on Comet Cast, the end of regulation it was pretty wild. Um, West Liberty scored with like a minute and a half left to take a touchdown lead. Anamosa marched down the field on mostly on the strength of a big, a big passing play. But on third and goal, I want to say, they fumbled it forward and recovered it in the end zone for a touchdown to force overtime. So, so good on the comments to kind of bounce back from that and uh, and win that one overtime. Kyle, um, we've talked about how we do think this is a good football team that just had a tough open to the season. So what what's your reaction when you see them um, really gut one out and, and win a tough game the other night? It looked like they made a lot of improvements offensively in this one, especially in that second half, scoring four touchdowns in the in the last two quarters in overtime. They had just one touchdown through the first six quarters of the season and an overtime period, so it seems like they're making gains there offensively. They obviously had a huge night defensively against mm-hmm. Solon the previous week, so the defense hasn't been a problem. Now the offense seems like it's starting to get going a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and 1-2 uh, and two feels a whole lot different than 0-3. Oh 0-3 and three. Oh and three is a very tough hole to climb out of, especially um, with the RPI system waiting all all nine games for playoffs this year. So big-time win for the Comets, and we can move on to uh, Wilton. Uh, they won at Mid-Prairie 22-6. to um, Again, like every game, this is a grass field, so conditions were not ideal. 
passing game just was not there for Wilton this week, and that's really been where Mays has done most of his damage this year. He hasn't really had to do much rushing because uh, Colin McCrabb has kind of been that guy on the ground, and Mays has been effective throwing the ball, but only three for 23 yards and in interception the other night. But he did remind us, you know, oh, yeah, he, he can run the ball too. Um, 30 rushes for 210 yards and two touchdowns uh, for Mays in that one. Um, Kyle, just any – any takeaways from you on this one? For me, it's kind of hard to take much away from this game just because uh, I think we both expected Wilton to win by more, but just with the conditions and, uh, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of a weird game, it seemed like. What, what, what are your thoughts on this one? I just feel like Wilton can kind of win a game any way possible, whether mm-hmm. it's throwing the football, running the football, defense. I mean, they've showed they can do all three of those things well, and so just impressed with how they've played Tom. In every aspect, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, not not a whole lot more to really add on that one, honestly. Um, Wilton's up to number seven now in Class Two A, or uh, Class One A, excuse me, Class One A. Um, big big time test for them uh, this Friday night. Definitely will be. Uh, I don't want to say measuring stick because if they lose this game, I mean they're still a good team. But you know, hey, Boover, Beavers, excuse me, have had a. A smooth ride mostly to, to 3-0, and uh, they'll be looking for 4-0 and this week. And then we'll go to the one game that we uh, that we differed on picks-wise last week, so now we are both tied at 12-4, and thanks to uh, Wapolo coming up very big for Kyle with a 32-24 win. Uh, Ricky Ford's just a massive, massive day behind a pretty new offensive line. 30 rushes for 245 yards, two touchdowns. That's not all, though. Two receptions for 41 yards and a touchdown. Defensively, 10 and a half tackles. So really, he just kind of did it all. Uh, Noah, Noah Holland had a nice day. 130 passing yards, three touchdowns. Um, Kyle, real nice bounce back, quick, bounce back win for them after a tough West Branch game last week. Uh, what, what do you kind of think of uh, where the Indians are at uh, at this point in the season, sitting at 2-1 and one through three games? I feel like Waffle has been pretty impressive, especially with quite a bit of inexperience especially on the offense with that offensive line, new quarterback. But to win two close games like they have this season, the double overtime win against Wise Muskeen in week one, and now this win, they're off to, I feel like they're off to a pretty good start here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they were a team that we maybe had some questions about, not about their talent, but just with a new quarterback and Noah Holland, we were not, and a new offensive line. We just weren't totally sure how quickly – they would come together. We thought maybe they'd be a candidate for a slow start, but two and ones, I mean, one of the better starts, obviously, in our area. So good on them. Uh, good on Todd Parsons. Ha- has that team ready, uh, as always. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all we've got for uh, for last week of uh, football. We can move into what turned into a really, really big week of volleyball. We'll start in Muscatine, where uh, – the Muskies stunned Bettendorf the other night in five sets. Uh, Kyle, I was telling you before we we came on, I, I was covering uh, the match over in West Liberty that night between West Liberty and Wilton. So I hadn't really seen your tweets. I just knew Muscatine lost the first set 25-14. to 14, And I assumed that it would just kind of be a straight sets win for Bettendorf after that. But it was not like that at all. Kyle, just kind of take me through... Um, what in the world happened over in Muscatine? Basically, it sounded like they really, uh, really battled back, and obviously, you know, sixteen fourteen, the fifth set doesn't get much closer than that. Yeah, so they lost that first set twenty five to fourteen. 
and I was actually sitting up in the stands by a Bendorf fan trying to take photos. And uh, after that first set, he told his daughter, Bendorf just needs to win two more sets and then we'll get out of here quickly. <laughs> but it was anything he was, but. He was ready to go home then, yeah, though. Yeah, I think they all were expecting a three set, just get out of there for Bendorf. But Muskies beat the Bulldogs for the first time since October 18, 2011. It's the only time they've been Bendorf under coach Tim Martin. Martin called it one of the pinnacles of his six years coaching Muscatine. So a huge win for them. Showed a lot of resiliency coming back from that first set loss. Even trailed uh, 17 to 12 in the third set before finishing off a 13 to three run there. And then came back from down 11 to nine in the fifth set to win 16, 14. So a lot of comebacks showed even with the, all the youth on this team, they don't get rattled very easily. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, you, you kind of mentioned it here. Their uh, their front line seemed like uh, they really played well the other night. They, uh, I know they've been kind of looking for maybe one girl to emerge um, as kind of that go-to player, but seems like they've just got a nice arsenal of pieces up front. How impressed were you with uh, with that front line? I was really impressed. It seemed like a lot of balance up there up front. Tim Martin gave a shout out to just about everyone mm -hmm. up there. Hannah Reynolds. Uh, Hannah Wieskamp, um, Kayla Schultz, Maddie Peterson, all of them played well. That front line offensively had 44 kills in this match against Bendorf, 23 blocks, and they lead Class 5A with 4.04 blocks per set. So, mm -hmm. great start. What, um, what were, because I know you talked to, to Martin, obviously, you said it was, the, he said it was the pinnacle of his time there in Muscatine. You talked to a couple of the players, just what, what was kind of the mood there after that? Because obviously that's as big of a win as that program has had since we've been here. Obviously, you know, we were here last year and then through this year. Well, they're just one win away now from matching last year's win total. So Yeah, I didn't even think about that. You're right. Where are they are they five and four this year? Yeah, Is that right? Five and four. So they said this win gave them a ton of confidence. They feel like they can go out there and compete with anyone now, beat anyone, they said. So mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know um Bettendorf was ranked uh, preseason number one in the MAC. I know our uh, colleague Matt Coss, and maybe not convinced that Bettendorf is quite that good. Uh, he thought they might finish more towards the middle of the pack, but still, that just a big time win for Muscatine. Um, Muskies are now up to third in the conference standings. Uh, they stand alone at three and one, just a game behind uh, Pleasant Valley and Davenport Assumption um, for first place. So yeah, just a. A really big time win for them, and I'll be curious to see uh, what this does for them moving forward. They're going to head to a uh, a really tough tournament in Clinton this weekend that we'll we'll hit on just briefly because Wilton's also going there. There's going to be a lot of very 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 good teams there, so we'll see how the Muskies fare up there, and we can move on. Unless uh, you have anything else to add uh, from that one the other night? No, you can move on. We can move on to a West Liberty and Wilton volleyball. Um, this one was just a, a heck of a volleyball match, a four-setter. Um, Wilton won 24-26, uh, 25-21, uh, 25-17, and 26-24. The Beavers are now 15-0 on the season. Um, the Comets are 10-2. By the time you're listening to this, it's possible those are inaccurate because they both play uh, tonight, that being Thursday night, Kyle will actually be in West Liberty tonight for their match. And, uh, yeah, you know, just really impressive win by Wilton. Um, they hadn't lost a set on the season until until that game, or until that match. They lose the opening set. They had got down 5-1 to one or 6-1 to one early on, just were never able to overcome that. 
And uh, Coach Brenda Grunder said that they didn't even address that in their huddle, that that was the first set they had lost. They just uh, kept on moving forward, and it, it really kind of showed. They kind of took the momentum from there, and, you know, West Liberty coach Ruben Galvan told me that he just kind of felt like Wilton slowly took momentum. West Liberty was really never able to get it back and some some unforced errors by them. You can kind of see just in the score that West Liberty kind of came apart a little bit there in the third set, losing that one 25-17, and then, you know, the Beavers won a very hard-fought fourth. Um, Kyle, just what real quick before I get into a lot of the stats from the other night, um, you haven't seen West Liberty, but you have seen Wilton at their home tournament over the weekend. They didn't really play anybody tough, but they did. They did sweep it, obviously, and they won the tournament. What what have your uh, first impressions been been of them? Because I know a lot was made about this incoming freshman class that they, they do have talent, and you're always a little skeptical until you see it, but those freshmen have looked pretty good to both of us, I think, so far. Yeah, and they've had three as many as three, I think, on the court playing at a time. Mm-hmm. So they – I. Talking to Coach, um, she said that she feels confident playing all three of them, and she's really been impressed with them so far. They look mm-hmm. looked really impressive in that in the all four straight set victories on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And she uh, she told me she was very interested to you know maybe see how they respond, or she was pleased with how they did respond in uh, in that match that night because you know conference matchups on the road especially are just a completely different animal from uh, playing in tournaments, just uh, just the atmosphere. I mean, West Liberty students really packed that ar- that arena. Wilton brought a lot of students too, but but it was, a, it was a really hostile environment for Wilton. So for them to go in there and play like they did, I mean, you know, Kelsey Drake, six kills, nine digs. Alexa Garvin, four kills, two assists, nine digs. Ella Caffrey, two kills, three five assists, three digs. I mean, those don't really sound like your typical freshman uh, stat lines from a, uh, a varsity matchup against a conference opponent and a ranked uh, conference opponent that the Comets were number 7 in 3A coming into this one. They're now number 10 in 3A after that. Wilton is now in the rankings for the first time this year, up to number 14 in Class 2A. Um, Aubrey Putman, like you'd expect, led them with 18 kills. She really came through in in the biggest points, uh, had a couple of key kills at the end. Uh, Emily Lang, 11 kills, played a really nice match, uh, really good up at the net. Uh, Courtney Drake, the lefty, six kills, had a couple of really big points as well. Um, for West Liberty, uh, Macy Dawfeld, talk about freshmen. Um, she really stood out to me as a uh, as a very, very good player the other night. Um, I want to say she had 21 kills, which um, that led all players. And for, you know, for a freshman, you're playing Aubrey Putman, who is going D1 already. And uh, for somebody else to have uh, more kills than her, have it be a freshman, I mean, they were going to her a lot. But it was just, uh, it was impressive. I mean, she looks to me like a, you know, I'm no expert on scouting volleyball players, but she, to me, looks like somebody who, uh, who's going to go Division One if she wants to. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on her, Kyle, after you see her tonight. Uh, Morgan Peterson, 37 assists. Macy Akers, 23 digs. Kind of the usual suspects there for them. Um, you know, Kyle, I don't, I don't know if you'll have anything to add on this one or not because you didn't, you didn't see any of it. All you've read is my story, but just uh, what, how big of a win do you think that that was for Wilton to kind of, you know, because the RVC is a very tough conference, obviously. Yeah, just coming in there unranked, I think it really proves to the rest of the the class, class two A, that you 
they probably deserve that ranking, mm -hmm. especially after that ranked win. But I think one thing that stood out is there's a lot of young talent mm -hmm. in volleyball in the area. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Wilton will be back in action again tonight, Thursday night against Mid Prairie. West Liberty plays host to number two Tifton tonight. So just huge match for the comments. Uh, Kyle will be there. So we'll have more on that one next week. And uh, like I mentioned before, Wilton will also go to the Clinton tournament, 12-team uh, tournament. A lot of ranked teams there. I believe the top team in Class 4A um, will be there as well. So, uh, yeah, I think Matt Cost made the comment to me, you know, if Wilton's still undefeated a week from now, um, yeah, let's get them in the top five of Class 2A. So we'll see how, uh, how the Beavers do going forward here. And we can run through these, um, these next couple pretty quickly here. Um, Durant Volleyball, they beat Iowa City Regina in straight sets. Uh, pretty convincing, really. 25-21, 25-10, and then 25-19. Um, Regina clearly is not the team it was last year when it went to state. But still, that's still Iowa City Regina. Still a road win. The Wildcats are now 7-2 on the season. Snapped uh, a, a two-match losing streak. They play again tonight against West Branch. So another tough conference foe there. Um, was a balanced attack. Uh, Kyle, what have... What have you thought about the start that they've had to the season? I know we kind of talked about them last week, but they're they're now seven and two, and they've uh, they've looked looked like they might be a, a solid third best team in the area for us this year. Definitely, and they're just another strong team in that River Valley Conference, which just seems loaded with a lot of really good teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know I mentioned the balanced attack: uh, Auburn Dittmer, ten kills; Annie Taylor eight. Uh, Cameron Myers, seven kills, and I believe it was five aces for her there night. So that's a, a pretty impressive service performance. Um, we can move on to some uh, SEISC. Uh, nothing like uh, that certainly rolls off the tongue quite nicely, right? Um, some SEISC volleyball. Um, Kyle, you can start us off here with this. I know you uh, you maybe have seen the box score on this one. Wapolo and Columbus played uh, a pretty tight, pretty tight match the other day. Yeah, it went what, four sets there, and Wapolo ended up beating 25-23 in that fourth one to clinch the win. Um, but it, it it was their fifth win in the last six matches. They started the season 0-4. Hmm. They're back in action tonight at Iowa Mennonite, and so they seem to be getting on the right track. I know there are a lot of new players on that team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned it. They're, they're getting back on track. They, uh, they beat Highland. Um, in five sets their day as well, so it's just been a been a nice rebound for them um, after starting 0-4, like you said. I'll be curious to follow their progress and see uh, see where they go from here. Uh, Columbus fell again in straight sets uh, to Winfield Mount Union on Tuesday. Uh, they're now two and fourteen, and will head to a tournament this weekend. Um, Louisa Muscatine they swept Lone Tree last Thursday, 25-12, 25-11, 25-13. Um, and they're now three and seven. I know they were a team that we both kind of thought would start playing some better volleyball last time. It looks like uh, we are correct so far. Uh, they'll go to a tournament as well this weekend, and we'll see how they fare there. Um, Kyle will move on to Muscatine swimming. Um, I know you were there for part of it the other night. Uh, 143 to 40, uh, home loss to Pleasant Valley. Obviously, nothing to be ashamed of there because PV, we, we both know, is just on another level compared to. Uh, other teams in the MAC, them and Bettendorf. Um, what did uh, what did our good friend Judd Anderson think of uh, the Muskies' performance the other day? Well, he said afterward that he was talking to the PV coach, and he just said that it really feels like the MAC's kind of a three-tier league. 
Bendorf PB at the top, and then Davenport Central Muscatine. Then he called it the everybody else part, mm -hmm. and he said he's just happy that he's not in the everybody else <laughs> tier. So obviously they have Davenport Central here coming up pretty soon. He's really looking forward to that meet. They have a invite here this Saturday, but um, one event that really stood out, kind of bright spot for them, Lexi Hurt finished first in the one meter diving against a really tough Pleasant Valley team. So mm -hmm. impressive point. Yeah, yeah, and like like you said, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, Davenport Central one goes. I mean. Seems like the bet they're battling for third place in that conference. But if they were able to get that with uh, a team of a lot of newcomers, a lot, a lot of newcomers, if they were able to finish third in the conference, I'm sure uh, Anderson would be very, very happy with that result um, with this team. And obviously, we'll have a lot of them back next year. So they'll definitely be an interesting uh, program to follow here. And then we can move on to uh, Muscatine Golf. Um, a, not not the best week for them, but better than last week because they didn't even get to play last week. So uh, they started off the week uh, placing fourth out of seven teams in Clinton. Um, I talked to Brick Burback, uh, James Salt, and uh, Coach uh, Scott Schultz, and they all really thought they gave away a second-place finish. I think they finished like seven or eight strokes back of second, and they were just all, all pretty pretty uh, upset about that, were not happy with their performance. Um it's kind of interesting. Everybody was dealing with the conditions, obviously. The the course is kind of wet. But I'm not sure if anybody else had had the time off that Muscatine had. I guess I don't really know the other team situations. But with the rain, and then uh, Scott Schultz kind of had some uh, some personal matters on Friday. So they did not have practice on Friday when maybe they could have. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, they didn't practice besides putting for six days leading up to that tournament. And then they got to Clinton early to get on the driving range, and, oh, the driving range is closed. So all those kids' first real big golf swings off tees for six days was on their opening opening swings, and I do think they thought that that played a little bit of a role there. But then it got even tougher for them this week. They go to see the Rapids Washington invite. Um, that was at TPC Deer Run, which, in case you're not familiar, that is where the John Deere Classic is played, so a uh, major, major golf course. That tournament had 10 of the top 12 teams in Class 4A, a mini-state tournament, as uh, James Salt called it. Um, Waukee won the tournament, Pleasant Valley second. Um, Muscatine shot 384. That was 77 strokes behind um, first place. They were they were 17th out of 18 teams. Again, a little disappointed with their performance. Um, Brig Burback and James uh, Salt shot 94s. They both admitted that uh, Deer Run was just a little intimidating to play on. Um, just kind of the same things that we've heard from them, really, this year, though. A lot of work to still do, whether it's their decision-making on, on various shots, just, you know, what club to use or how to hit it or whatever. You know, their execution and just their mental focus, being able to bounce back from bad shots, those all need work, and that's what we've heard all year. Obviously, they're a young team. Um, this one was a real eye-opener from them. We'll see how they move on going forward here. Kyle, any any thoughts on Muskie Golf uh, this week from you? Well, we, we talked about before the season about all the inexperience, I think, a lot. Um, I think Greg Birdback and James Solt had, each had half a year of varsity experience, and nobody else had any varsity experience. So kind of expected an up-and-down year, and hmm. I think that's been the case so far. Hmm. Absolutely. And then we can move on to uh, Muscatine Cross Country. Um, Kyle, I'm just going to kick this over to you. I actually, they didn't even get to participate again this week, it looks like. Is that 
Is that correct? Do they have a meet tonight? I, yeah, I, I believe you're right. They have a meet tonight at 5 p.m. So a little unfortunate with the timing there. We're not going to have any Muscatine cross country again for you. Feels like forever. I think it has been forever mm-hmm. since they competed. But I promise you next week, I think it's a pretty nice day outside. They'll almost certainly run at Fort Madison today. So we'll have that for you next week. And then, uh, but we do have some area cross country finally. Um, we can start with uh, Monticello over the weekend. Um, Wilton Boys placed 11th out there. Um, Zach Hine, who was Kyle's prep of the week this week, who he wrote about, we chose for prep of the week. He was 7th in 17 minutes and 41 seconds. And Kyle, I know uh, that was a big uh, drop in his time compared to previous times, correct? Yeah, so he ran a minute 15 faster than he did at the English Valley and by just four days earlier. So big leap there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the girls were 13th, um, Lindsey Ford 41st, and 22 minutes 45 seconds. And that's about all, all the noteworthy things from that one. Um, Monday at Mid Prairie, we had two area teams there. Uh, Durant was fourth in the boys, West Liberty sixth. Um, I still have not seen any individual West Liberty results from that one. I do know that Jack Foss uh, from Durant was fifth in 17 minutes, 58 seconds. Easton Bodkins, 14th in 18 minutes, 48 seconds. And then for the Durant girls, they were third. Um, Ilania Berry was seventh. And then uh, then the English uh, Valley invite on Tuesday. Um, Wapolo took second in the boys, Wilton third. Um, Zach Hine again, uh, wasn't as good of a time for him but he did still take fourth in that one, which was the top area runner for us in 18 minutes, 56 seconds. Um, two Wapolo runners close behind. Um, Aiden Hausman, fifth in 19 minutes, 14 seconds. And uh, Tristan Kaufman um, was 19 minutes and 15 seconds. And I don't have it typed down, but I'm almost positive that was sixth place, one second slower of fifth place. And then for the girls, we have Lindsey Ford at fourth in 23 minutes and 43 seconds for Wilton. They took second as a team out there. Emmy Drake, uh, 13th in 24 minutes and 58 seconds. Wapolo had no team score out there. They only had three or four runners, but they did do well. Um, the girls that did go out there, Evelyn Peck was ninth in 24 minutes and 26 seconds. Emma Reed, 12th in 24 minutes and 49 seconds. And Kyle, unless you've got anything else to add on the area cross country, on your prep of the week, um, are we good to move on, or do you want anything else here? We can move on. Previous. Finally, we'll get to uh, the football previews. Um, I know it's it's our arguably favorite part of the show because we just get to wildly speculate on who's going to win, who's going to lose. I do say that though, we actually both have done pretty well this year. We're both twelve and four, like I alluded to earlier. Um, I guess I should have picked Wapolo last week. I'd be one game ahead of you still. Um, we'll start in Muscatine, where uh, it's going to be a tough one for the Muskies this week. Um, huge game for them. They take on number seven, Johnston. Um, Johnston is 2-1. and one. They lost to uh, uh, number current number two, West Des Moines Doling, 27-0 um, last week. But, I mean... I think Dowling's the five-time defending state champions. I mean, that's as good of a program as there is in the state. So not much to see there. Johnston's still a really good team. Um, of note, though, the first RPI rankings came out this week. And if you're not familiar with that, I mean, it's the same system that, like, the NCAA tournament men's and women's has used for a long time now in seedings. 
basically what they're going to do with that is they're going to take um, your record, your opponent's record, and your opponent's opponent's record. So stay with me here. So your opponent's, the teams that they play, your, you know, hence your opponent's opponent's record. And they're going to combine that and it's going to all get spit out to one percentage at the end. And outside of the district winners, that will be how they select the other teams for the 16-team playoffs in the state this year. And I know uh, Mustang coach Jake Mueller is a fan of that. Might get the 16 best teams. They're close to it this time around. But Muscatine is number six in this RPI so far. I think that uh, a big product of just being 3-0, and Mueller thought was way too early to read, to read anything into that. Johnston was actually 11th. Um, but we will we will see. We will see. This will be one where we will find out if Muscatine is worthy of uh, being in that ballpark, we'll say. Probably not sixth, but just in that ballpark of teams. Um, Johnston has a ton of talent, especially defensively. Um, they've got a cornerback who, who Mueller said was a D1 caliber kid, uh, Anthony Coleman. He's committed to North Dakota State, which... You know, I'd imagine all of you in this area are familiar with their success on the FCS level through the years. Um, Carson Wentz says hello. Um, 5'10", 170-pound corner. They have a great front seven, Mueller said. Um, that, and that'll be a challenge um, for Gay uh, to go against Coleman, their cornerback. We'll see, we'll see how he does there. Um, Mueller knows it can be tough sledding for them offensively. This week, they're just going to have to be resilient and uh, not get discouraged if they aren't able to get a whole lot done on that side of the ball. And that defense that you mentioned, Kyle, might have to to really step up for them. Um, what what are you kind of thinking uh, here when you look at this one? Obviously, a very tough matchup for Muscatine. What do you what do you expect out of this young Muscatine team that's been kind of up and down, but still still three and zero so far this season? This is a much tougher test for Muscatine than the previous three weeks. Obviously, Johnson was 9-2 and two last season, advanced to the quarterfinals of state playoffs. In addition to the quarterback you mentioned, they also have had a lot of success running the football, 460 rushing yards and mm-hmm. six touchdowns against really tough opponents. And they have a lot of different guys they give the ball to, it looks yeah. like, too. A lot of, yeah, a lot of depth there at running back. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a really tough game for Muscatine. You know, um... Hat, hat tip to Matt Koss on this stat, but uh, 31 seniors for Johnston. To have 31 seniors, I mean, that's more than some of our area teams, our smaller teams, have out on their team. So 31 seniors in a very successful program, I mean, you know that team is going to be disciplined, and you you know they know how to win. Obviously 9-2 and two last year. To me, if Muscatine is able to just hang in there and keep this one close, that will be a big-time progress and a big-time win. I know they want to win on the scoreboard, obviously, but this is a very tough team. I'm going to take Johnston by, I think, a couple of touchdowns. I think this will be really, really, really tough sledding for that musky offense against a very, very big and physical front seven and a, uh, a cornerback as talented as Anthony Coleman is. Um, Kyle, what, what are you thinking for this matchup? Do you think, uh, think there's any chance of, of the upset this week? I think Johnson is going to pull this out, even at Muscatine. But I think, I think we'll learn a lot about Muscatine in this game. Mm-hmm. What um, if Muscatine were to win this game, or to come close? What do you think that would look like? Like, what do you think would have to go right for them, or maybe they'd have to do better to to have a, a chance this week? Well, 
just compared to last week, they got to be better on offense, mm -hmm. make more plays offensively, and then defense needs to continue to play strong. Um, they've made a lot of key four-down stops throughout the year, so keep making those. And mm -hmm. just, uh, just as a point of reference here, um, Johnston is 47.5-point favorites on BC Moore. I don't think the margin will be quite that big, but just to give you an idea of what – what Mustang is going up against. This is a very, very good and experienced team they're playing here. So I think we're, we both got the Muskies um, falling to 3-1 and one, um, on the season. Still a great start for them, and they'll be heading into district play after that one. And we can move on to uh, our next matchup here, Durant at Wapolo, a matchup of two area teams. We talked about it. Um, Durant gives up 383 rushing yards last week, loses by two touchdowns to Tipton. Um, obviously, that defense will be tested again, Kyle. They've got Ricky Fortz, who's up to 511 rushing yards and five touchdowns this year behind a very new offensive line. Like I said before, he could have easily been our prep of the week this week with what he did last week. Um, that Wildcat offense, like we talked about, Bryce LaFrenz and Mason Compton, those two will be the main two guys there. Um, we'll see if they can get anything going with Tristan Hughes on the ground. I would expect them to maybe try and do that against a, uh, we'll call it a, a, a questionable, still an undersized, inexperienced uh, front seven for Wapolo outside of like Ricky Forts. So, so yeah, this will be an interesting one. Um, Kyle, what, what do you think this one looks like? Uh, who do you think has the edge uh, heading into this week four matchup? I think Durant has the edge. Uh... You know, the Indians had trouble stopping Northeast quarterback Nate Lang and Dawson Stoll last week. They connected for nine catches, 161 yards, two touchdowns. I think Bryce LaFrenz and Mason Compton could have a, another really big game against Wapolo. I think Forts is great, but Durant's tough defensively. I don't see Forts having near as good of a game as he did last week. Mm -hmm. I tend to agree with you. I do think this is going to be a, uh, a very close game. But to me, yeah, it's just I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with um, the Wapolo defense um, going up against that Durant offense that is um, pretty high-powered. Um, a five-point spread on this one in favor of Durant. I do think it'll probably be about that close. I'll take Durant by a field goal, give or take. Um, Wildcats improved to 2-2 two and two on the season. Um, your prediction as well, Durant, it sounds yeah, like. Durant. So we both have Durant going to 2-2. Two and two. I'm sorry if you get the pin clicking. I'm actually writing down our predictions for once um, this year. Um, Durant 2-2, two two, Wapolo 2-2 two two after this week. Um, you can book it. No, just kidding. Um, we'll see about that. We'll move on to uh, to what probably is the, the biggest matchup in the area, Kyle. Um, Wilton has its toughest test by far of the season. I believe um, the Beavers are uh, ranked number 7 in Class 1A. Is that is that correct? Yeah. And then they, they play a, a Benton community team who is number four in Class 2A. All three of their wins have been by at least two scores or more. They have several playmakers on offense. Um, their quarterback, Clay. Um, Good luck. Krause? I'm going to say Krause. Um, K-R-O-U-I. The I is really throwing me yeah, for a loop there. Yeah. I'll say Clay Krause. We'll just call him Clay. Good old Clay. Clay has 570 passing yards and five touchdowns this year. They're very balanced, though. Um, Matt Davis, uh, running back, has 448 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. And they've got a receiver who's had a very good year so far, too. Nathan Michaels has 13 catches for 255 yards and three touchdowns. 
So Kyle, what are you kind of looking for out of this one? Seems like it'll be a uh, a very stiff test for Wilton, but especially that Wilton defense. Yeah, this would be a great matchup between Ben's offense and Wilton's defense. The defense for the Beavers has had 31 solo tackles for loss and 13 sacks throughout this year, mm-hmm. and they've only given up or their defense is averaging just nine points per game to opponents. Offensively, they counter with their own stash of playmakers on offense. Mm-hmm. You have Jerome Mays, quarterback, Colin McCrabb, Brian Stillman, and then receivers Corey Anderson, mm-hmm. Brock Hartley. So. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we've seen Wilton win in – Basically three different ways this year offensively. Week one, um, Colin McCrabb was the guy on the ground. Week two, um, that was the, the, the Brian Stillman game. That was a game I think he had three touchdowns, 100-plus rushing yards. And then obviously we talked about already on this show, um, Jerome Mays, this big-time rushing game last week. So we'll, we'll see if kind of all of those weapons are for real in the sense that they can do that have that kind of versatility against the best of the best. This will be a tough matchup for them. Um, Kyle, I'm going to kick this back over to you while I think about it. Um, who do you have in this one? Well, something has to give between Ben's offense and Wollen's defense, and I just think Ben's been so impressive so far this year that I have to go with Ben Benton mm-hmm. in this one. A little surprising. Um, a 21-point spread in this one in favor of Benton on BC Moore. He has not really respected uh, the Beavers. A whole lot this year. I think he had them like outside of his top ten coming into the season, like at sixteenth, just based on his rankings. So I think it'll be closer than that. But I, oh, I hate to agree with you because I want to pull ahead of you somehow in these standings. But I, I do think Benton will probably win this one. Again, this loss is as long as you see Wilton play play a good football game. It doesn't really tell you a whole lot besides that Benton is just a very good football team. I think Wilton is too, but. We both expect um, Benton to get the better of this matchup. And we will move on to next one here. We've got Minneapolis at Loiza Muscatine. Um, like we said before, big time bounce back for LM um, last two weeks after a really tough week one. You know, they torched Columbus last week, have a bunch of big plays, show their explosiveness. Um, like you mentioned in here, lack of depth might be an issue. Kyle, what a. What's the story on the Sam Kessel here? Yeah, Sam had a uh, surgery to repair a broken ankle. Um, Coach Eric Gabe said before before Friday night's game against Columbus, last Friday's game. So they had to move everybody around. Everybody was playing a different position on the offensive line for them mm-hmm. against Columbus. They did pretty well there, but that could be an issue here. Right, and uh, that was one thing we talked about with them um, was the injury concerns. Not that we were concerned about any kid getting injured more in the sense of uh, they they just can't have the injuries. They've got something along the lines of 25 kids on that roster. I suppose one of us should actually count how many kids are on their roster one of these days. But they do not have a, uh, a big roster. They really cannot afford many injuries. So uh, it sounds like, did, did he expect uh, Kessel to be back at all this season? It kind of seemed like the door was left open there. He did leave the door open. He's hoping to have him back toward the end of the year, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So. And, uh, you know, they're playing a very tough Minneapolis team, uh, number six in Class 1A. So they're, this will be um, L&M's biggest test of the season, I think. Um, L&M is second in Class 2A with um, almost 1,000 rushing yards. Um, Minneapolis almost as good in uh, Class 1A. They're top 10, nearly 800 rushing yards. 
Um, so pretty similar teams in that respect. Um, Kyle, how do you see this one playing out? I'll go first for once, actually. I do think Minneapolis wins this one. Um, it, it's, it's just tough for me to see see L&M beat a, uh, a top 10 team. It's possible because they do have so many weapons, but just I worry about their front seven and their depth and how they hold up defending another team that can really run it down your throat. Well, if I agree with you, I can't lose any points, so <laughs> I'm going to agree with you here. But, yeah, this is, I feel like, too tough of a matchup for the Wise Musk, being it is homecoming for the Falcons, but I just feel like Minneapolis gets out of there and improves to 4 Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, again, I think uh, I think there is a shot for for LM to win this game because when you run the ball like they do, you always have a chance. Just control the clock, um, control time of possession, all those things. You know, Chase Cruz, all those guys are certainly capable of having having big games, but I just think Minneapolis is a uh, they kind of seem like a slightly better version of LM to be honest with you, when you look at their at their stats. So uh, we'll move on here to our second to last matchup in the area. We've got um, West Liberty at Washington. We mentioned this already. The comments finally broke through offensively and kind of showed what they had told us before the season, that they do have some some skilled, skilled players um, after losing all those guys from last year. Passing game kind of opened up for Feldman, 129 yards and two touchdowns. You know, all the same concerns still for them, the offensive line, just, just young, still gelling together. Um, they're going to look to continue that momentum against a Washington defense that has given up a ton this year. 361 yards and nearly 30 points per game, Kyle. What uh, what should we expect out of the comments this week? I think West Liberty continues that upward trend on offense, continues making strides there. Um, I'm going uh, to <laughs> kick it back to you. <laughs> I'm going to go with West Liberty. I'm a believer. I I said from the beginning, I think this is a good football team. I just think their schedule was so so darn tough to start the season. I think this is where you're going to kind of see see um, that talent kind of shine through. I expect them to win this game actually by a touchdown or two. I don't think it'll be a uh, – I'm not predicting a third straight overtime game for the comments. I'll just say that. Yeah, West Liberty, I think we'll have a chance full with Washington quarterback Blake Turner. He had – Passed for 210 yards and four touchdowns in their one last week. Mm-hmm. First one of the season for them, too. So they're each coming off their first wins mm-hmm. of the year. But I think West Liberty, that defense, and I think the offense continues to improve and improves mm-hmm. to 2-0. Oh, or 2-2. Two two. Yep, absolutely. Which, uh, hey, if I think if you would have told West Liberty fans after week one, you'll be 2-2 two and two through four weeks, I think they'd probably take it. And heading in the right direction, that'd be two consecutive wins. Um We'll see about that, obviously. That, that, that's a game. That's one of those that could really go either way there. Um, Columbus Community at North Cedar for our final um, matchup of the week. Both teams are still searching for the first win of the season. Kyle, is this the week that the Wildcats get it done? I, I still don't think it's the week. Um, so a lot of growing pain still going on there. Like we've talked about, only two seniors on that roster, a ton of freshmen. Um, Columbus quarterback Chance Colby's done some nice things on the ground this year. He's had 226 rushing yards and a touchdown. And then running back Jaime Villegas has made the most of his opportunities with 111 yards on just nine carries. So they've done some nice things running the ball, but I still don't think they're ready to take that next step yet. Mm-hmm. And so I picked North Cedar here. 
if I had to guess, I would say this would be the closest game Columbus has played, this, will play this year so far. Um, they really have not been that close to winning through the first three weeks. I think that they will be right there in this one, but I am going to go with North Cedar. Um, maybe I'm still just scarred from picking Columbus in week two and having that blow up in my face. I'm not not totally sure there, but I I think the I think I just need the Wildcats to show it to me before I have a whole lot of confidence uh, in them. And I think that'll do it for today. Um, you can follow me at Evan R Riggs on Twitter. Um, Kyle is at Heim Kyle. Uh, follow him if you're not already. Um, like always, we'll post the iTunes link to the journal's website at muscatinejournal.com each week, and we'll do it on the Journal Sports Twitter account as well at mjournal underscore sports. Um, go give us a review on iTunes, um, or you know, give us a review. Five story reviews are always nice. Um, some of those, um, rather for deserving. Well, you know, hey. You like the show, you like you like what we're starting up. What that'll do is that'll help us show up in searches uh, more more prevalently. So the, the five-star reviews do help um, if you're willing to just spare the time to do that. Um, if you guys have any feedback, any suggestions, anything you'd like to see with this show, um, we're, we're open. You can message us on Twitter. Our email addresses are both posted with every story online, so just go find us there and contact us. Um, this podcast is something that we're doing uh, for you guys to give you more more coverage, so we're open to suggestions. Um, we'll be back next week. Take a look at Thursday and Friday's football games. A couple of big volleyball showdowns in the area, some swimming, um, some more Muscatine volleyball. It's it's gonna be a very very busy week. We'll finally have Muscatine cross country next week for the first time I think maybe since episode one, which is pretty remarkable. And uh, yeah, hopefully the Muskies are running right now. Um, That'll do it for us, and uh, thanks for listening. Look forward to next week.